Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another unbelievable edition of FNO InsureTech. I am looking at my co-host right now, the one and only... Lee Boyd. That's right. Coming. And I'm to looking us. back at Rob. <laughs> the one and only. The one and only uh -huh. So many people are grateful for that. Yeah. Where are you today, Rob? I am in my office, my home office. I'm hunkered down. I'm sheltered in place, more or less. Y'all are still doing that? I'm in... Uh, Sacramento, California. Is it cold? It is cold, which is why you can see I have a down jacket on mm -hmm. because it's cold and I'm too cheap to turn my heat up as high as I need to do it. So well, that's silly. Well, I live in California. Everything's more expensive here. Did you know that? I I did. What about an air conditioner? More Are there expensive. air conditioners there? Yes, there's air conditioners. We have one, and it's more expensive. Hmm. I'm sorry to you hear You know that, how Rob. in Texas, how in Texas that everybody runs their air conditioner at like 68 degrees? Yeah. If yeah, I ran true. my my air conditioner at 68 degrees, I'd have a $2,000 electric bill. So that's excessive. I, that. I would not yeah. I would I would roll a window down. No. Or I guess push a window up depending on your type you, of window. Or out? Out? Maybe yeah, maybe it's a, mm -hmm. a throw it out type of window. Mhm. Mm yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe you remove the cardboard box from it. I, I don't know maybe, what you got. Maybe or you, maybe you just maybe you just break the window. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you do. <laughs> well, I'm in Waco. All of these things, all day. of these things might lead to a, a claim. Yeah, if someone broke your window, mm -hmm. uh, that could be a claim, and you know it it could be a certain type of person who gets that claim. Maybe somebody who's certified in, in Windows, perhaps, or certified mm -hmm. for a carrier. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a state license involved. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was installed improperly. Maybe installed improperly. And maybe there's a tool out there that would help the insurance company quickly and accurately get that claim to the right person. What a funny coincidence, Lee. Why? Why do you because say that? Because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. No. <laughs> How do these are? things happen? How does it happen? That know. every week when we do an introduction, it circles around to what we're talking about. <laughs> that's that's insane. That's insane. You would almost think it's intentional. Almost. 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 Well, almost. who are we talking to today, Rob? We're talking to Tim Christ, who is the VP of Growth at Claymatic. That's you know what cool Claymatic job. is? I do. I just so happen to know Claymatic. And you know what? It kind of does exactly what I was just saying it. It assists in making the right decision at dispatch. Uh, I'm excited to talk to him today. I think it's a neat product that's out there uh, to, to help save carriers a lot of money, which in turn can save policyholders more money by making the right decision at dispatch and getting their claim in the, in the hands of the right person. We know as adjusters that a tremendous amount of our operating claims operation dollars goes into not only trying to choose the right person, but dealing with the fallout of not having the right person. And that is yeah. not rightly. Oh, it's huge. If, if you make the wrong decision that 
at uh, at dispatch. I mean, it can it can cost a lot of money. It can cost a lot of time. Customer service can be down. Uh, you have to do it correctly because if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna find yourself spending a lot of time fixing that error. Even legal headaches. Oh, yeah. legal, absolutely. Compliance, all things that that if right. you if you don't have it set correctly, you will pay for it at the end. Right. So getting it right would be an understatement. So we thought we'd have Tim on and talk about what their product is, what their insure tech tool is, because after all, you know what, Lee? We're, we're an ins- insure tech podcast. We're an insure tech podcast. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. 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 Anyways, rather than listening to us jibber jabber. Jibber Oh, why don't we just get right to us jibber jabbering with Tim Christ, the VP of Growth from Climatic. Hey everybody, we are here with our guest. We have a guest from the claims side of the world where we're always the most comfortable talking about. So this is going to yeah. be a really tough interview. Very hard. We're tough interviewers, for God's sake. <laughs> Anyways, we have with us today Tim Christ, the VP of Growth at Claimatic. How you doing, Tim? I'm wonderful, guys. Thank y'all for having me on. Yeah, we're glad for you to be on today. Where are you joining us from in this world of ours? San Antonio. They've had a few things happen in San Antonio, even before it was San Antonio, right? Yeah. The biggest being, I'm going to let you the say Alamo. It, The Alamo. Tim, have you been, are you a San Antonio guy? No, I've lived here since 06, but I mean, I grew up in Texas, um, and so, yeah, we came to the Alamo when I was a kid. And if you want to talk about that, I've got an interesting story about the Alamo in Mexico City. Do you uh, really? Yeah. That's, uh, well, let's start there. Go ahead. Start there. Interesting. If it's not, All we'll right. just, if it's not, we'll just edit it out. So no pressure. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. You know, I, uh, I mean, I grew up on a farm and we were lower middle class, so we didn't get to travel much. But when I started to get the opportunity to travel internationally to do some claims work, I was down in Mexico City a lot, and you know, every now and again, we'd get, actually get the opportunity to, to look around a little bit. And so a friend of mine down there took me to the Castillo de Chapultepec, which is a museum now in Mexico City. And it's where Maximilian lived when Napoleon sent him over to conduct the, uh, the Spanish War. And you go in there, and of course, it's all just Mexican history. But, you know, of course, we're, you know, well, Lee and I are Texans, but you go to the Alamo, and we all know the story of the Alamo really, really well. Well, in Mexico, there's these three big walls in the museum that talk about the Battle of the Alamo. And basically, from their perspective, it says, you know, it was a grand victory. We slaughtered all the Texans, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you go around the corner, and there's a little bitty plaque on the other wall that is, says the Battle of San Jacinto. And it basically says we lost. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I just, uh, you just find it really, really interesting that, you know, the way that people interpret and, and write history is just a little bit different. So it was just fun to, to be able oh, to yeah. you know, know, know that story from both sides now. I've always been fascinated in history because I read a lot from, you know, American perspective, but I always wonder what, what is written, you know, on, in different perspectives, like over in England, what do they teach about the American revolution? And I came to find out they don't really teach it is what I was told. And so it, it's very interesting to always see the other side of things. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's amazing. And I think, you know, I, I thought when I was in school, that history was the most boring subject ever, but once you start traveling and you actually especially globally, and you, you know, have to interact with a different culture and you speak a different language and all these other things, you actually learn that history is really, really important because, you know, they're how they interpret the world and how they view things and how they interact with you is all based on that. And so the better, you know, their history, the better you can interact with them. And so then, because now you're living it, 
it becomes fascinating. And so we were down, I mean, there's buildings in Mexico city that are, you know, six and seven and 800 years old. And, you know, of course you've got the Aztecs and, and the, uh, the Mayans before that, oh, and yeah. then, you know, eating some food that's Mayan and in influence and the Mayan spices they use. And so all those things just blend together. And so just, you, you gain a whole, whole another level of appreciation for, for history that maybe you don't have when you're 16 or 17 years old and trying to read it from a textbook. Well, speaking of history, let's talk about claim matter. <laughs> We'll just jump right in there. (laughs) You are the VP of growth at Claimatic. Let's start by letting you take a minute or two and tell us what that is and what Claimatic does. Sure. I appreciate that. Well, it'll be Rob's job to keep us from going down a long tangent, right? (laughs) If anyone never goes off the tracks, it's me. So please don't you worry. (laughs) Claimatic was actually sort of born by accident. So in 2006, a company called IAS Claim Service, which is actually based here in San Antonio as well, was bought by a private investor, a guy named Larry Cochran. And as he started to build out the practice and, and make it larger, they encountered some technological challenges. And so they looked around the market and they said, well, what claims management platform can we use internally that will satisfy our needs? And obviously from an IA firm, just like you guys, you're well aware of the issues that you arise with. So you've got a whole bank of, you know, 1099 guys and some, you know, full-time guys that you have to manage on a daily basis. And then from the carrier side, you've got to ingest a number of claims a lot of times very, very quickly from a cat perspective. And so they didn't find anything that existed on the market. And so essentially they built their own CMS, their own claims management system end to end that managed the IA firm. And as they were, you know, as that got developed and were, you know, having a couple of beers with some friendly, you know, competitors, Pay service was giving them a, a discussion about, man, we've got all these same challenges. They said, well, what'd you do to solve it? And they said, well, we built our own darn system. And so pay center said, really? Well, can we have it? And so, you know, figured out how to set up another instance and spin it off and set it up for pay setter as well. And then along the way, they had developed a kind of a cool little claim auto assignment tool where it automatically took all the FNOL data, matched it to an adjuster and sent it along, along the way without any human interaction or any you know administrative oversight. And so they were showing that, of course, you know, as, as IAs do, they took it to their carriers to say, hey, let us show you how we do our, your work, you know, faster, better, cheaper than our competition. And they showed them the, the tool. And, and so the first carrier client said, I really like that auto assignment piece. Can I have it? So then it was like, oh, well, shoot. Okay, maybe we've got something that's commercially viable here. So Claymatic was spun out as its own company in 2015 and has then continued the, the software development process with carrier involvement and iteration as, as it happens, of course, over time. And so now we're on version 2.5. got several carrier clients, a couple that you guys will hear about here in, in the upcoming month or two. And yeah, really looking to just expand our, our network in the carrier space and help them process claims faster, lower LAE, improve operational efficiency, and overall improve customer experience as well. Because obviously, the faster that you can manage claims, the better outcomes you can have. So is it mostly a tool for carriers or is it also for IA companies or, you know, even water mitigation companies? Who is, who is your main customer? Yeah, I mean, there's application across the spectrum, but our real focus is to help the carriers specifically to drive their, you know, efficiencies in their process. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about an intelligent decisioning tool that when you've got a lot of projects on one side and a lot of resources on the other, whether they're staff resources or outside third-party vendor resources, and the idea that you can match and combine those things and multi-assign, you know, automatically. And as you guys know, and obviously as this podcast is borne out, it's amazing these days. I mean, for, you know, us that have been in the business for 20 years now, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, there was, you know, a couple of dozen solutions that you could use to manage claims. 
Well, now the same claim could be managed with seven or eight or nine different vendors doing a small sliver of the process. Right. So the expansion of, of how to manage all of that complexity has just exploded. And nobody's really figured out the secret sauce yet, we believe, that you know, when you've got sort of that intelligent brain that sits on top of the claims management system to actually help filter and, and manage all that in parallel. And so that's really kind of what we like to, um, like to believe that our solution helps to, to solve for. One of the issues when assigning claims is multiple systems. You have to be in, in lots of systems, it seems like, to find your resources, find the claim, find the information about the claim, everything like that. Does this help us have just one system to get the job done? Is it integrated with other systems? It is, yeah. So we're a SaaS platform, um, and we've got an API, a series of API connections. And so our the deal for us is we sit on top of a traditional claims management system, whether it's a Guidewire, Duck Creek, Salesforce, or homegrown system. And basically, we'll consume the data from FNOL. We'll consume the data from the adjuster licensing and compliance group. We'll, you know, consume the data from, you know, possibly from vendor management. We'll consume essentially whatever kind of data they want that we want to develop into the into the logical claim assignment decisioning piece and then and then push it back, whether we push it back into the claims management system to then further, you know, downstream like interact with Symbility or, or Xactimate, or if they say, hey, we'll send it back to our claims management system, but also ping XYZ resource, obviously with the API connection, it's easily that's easy to be done. So Obviously, at the end of the day, you've got to have a system record that tracks all of that stuff. So most of the time, it's tracked in that in that CMS. But we have the ability to to build the workflow out however the carrier would like. So, what kind of stats have you found in this? Is there is there real time savings? Is there real dollars to be saved in this, or is it just a more convenient feature for people who are getting claims out? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So <clears throat> I'll share a. We had a client call on Friday. And Rob, as you're well aware, you guys have had some pretty good storms over there in California in the last couple of weeks. They had, they've had several hundred claims come through their system. And so, of course, with, with Claymatic, they're seeing all this come through in real time. And it's just auto-assigning, so you're not actually doing anything. You're just kind of watching the process flow. But they had about 100 claims that came in that were fence only. And so they said, well, man, we can triage that to our virtual team instead of you know, automatically kicking it out to our AIA firm. So they updated their rules on the fly and batched all those claims and pushed them over to the virtual team. And so their comment on Friday was, we saved about $25,000 in LAE just from being able to grab those in real time, push them over and, and manage them uh, a little differently. So, you know, obviously 25000 in the grand scheme of things is not a not a huge issue. But for a small change on one morning, um, you know, that, that the opportunity is pretty exponential. But uh, to your earlier question about, you know, as far as the metrics that we see, Historically, what you find in, you know, in the industry, and if it's over a weekend, I mean, there might actually be two or three or four days between the date that the claim is received and the date the adjuster actually first makes contact. So we condense that process from days down to seconds. And so typically our, our adjusters are assigned in 12, 15, 20 seconds. And so it just allows for a, a faster response rate. So you're speeding up time to contact by, you know, typically a day to three we also, you know, if you're talking about a large, you know, cat deployment or, or property field adjustment management project, we can we can dynamically manage the barriers and, and the polygons and the and the uh, the area by which they service, and so we can cut down windshield time pretty significantly, and typically allow the field guys to close another one to one point three claims per day, which also then translates to about a 22 percent savings in LAE because they obviously not have as much windshield time. And, you know, then the flow through is we found, you know, customers and carriers have told us that, you know, 
policy churn typically goes down about 14% because, you know, when you, when you think about it, anytime a claim happens, that it's about a 50-50 chance of that person staying a client or, or moving to another carrier at renewal. So we found about a 14% decrease in churn, found about a 15% increase in NPS scores, which obviously correlates and makes sense. Um, but yeah, we found some pretty significant metrics to that help a carrier, you know, do better. You're kind of talking about magic here. Tell me how you guys do that. I mean, you don't have to give me the algorithm, but what does your system do to do that? It's just got all the data already available, right? And it's already got the decision trees built. So when you think about it, let's say we have Hurricane Harvey that comes through Houston. And so we've got some wind claims, we've got some flood claims, um, and we've got, you know, obviously a number of different, you know, sizes of exposure. And so what you think about from an adjusting perspective is we've got, you know, We've got a thousand claims we've got to deploy to the field. Well, they've got to have the appropriate license, right? So they've got to be licensed in Texas. That's number one. Are they flood certified? Are they wind certified? That's another, you know, exclusionary criteria. If they don't have that, then they're not even eligible to receive that claim. If their estimating authority is only say 25,000 or 50,000 or hundred thousand, and there's a claim larger than that, well, that's another exclusionary criteria. And so, you know, when you think about it, you can go through about a dozen questions that say, if this then happens. And so we've simply built that out logically with carriers based on however, you know, detailed they want to get. So you could have 12 decision criteria, you could have 150 decision criteria. It's really completely up to you, but it's already built into the software platform. So when a new claim hits it, you know, the, the data you receive at FNOL is for the most part, the same across the entire carrier. Um, it's typically five to nine data elements. And so based on those data elements, you've already got all the resource data built into your system. The software simply runs in the background to, to make the match. And so it also pulls into account things like, you know, what's their capacity? I mean, obviously, if a guy's already got 150 open files, we don't want to give him 10 or 20 more. It also looks at schedule. So if a guy's going to be on PTO, you know, later this week, obviously, we don't want to assign him any new claims. And so when you just think through the logical progression of what the triage and assignment team do today from a very manual perspective inside a carrier, we've simply automated that whole process. So your go-to-market is what with Claimatic? Our go-to-market is to approach, you know, the, the really the tier one, two, and three size carriers that anybody that's got, you know, 10,000, 15,000 claims a year or more understand what their current process looks like today. I mean, obviously, some of the top 10 guys have already done some form of automation in this, but sure. typically it's a, sure. it's, you know, it's funny, you know, we, again, we'll talk about, you know, stories. So I remember 20 years ago when I was doing work for State Farm, and we were on their fire list as a forensic engineer. And, you know, we would get every eighth claim, you know, because they said, hey, we do round robin claim assignment because that way it's impartial. And, and you know, and, and that's just the way our system works. And fast forward to today and you talk to other people, you know, talk to people about how their claims management system, you know, manages that automation or that assignment process. And it's still round robin 20 years later. So we, sure. <laughs> we still fundamentally really haven't done anything in that space. But when you think about it from a claims management perspective, you know, your, your big issue on a daily basis is demand and capacity management. And so the better that you can manage your resources, which is, you know, your adjusting teams and then your outside vendors, the better you manage those, the better everything else happens. And so you, you know, you maintain a better reserve versus surplus allocation. You're, you know, better able to manage your, just your overall reserve pool. You're better able to manage the staff in the field. You're better able to make decisions on the fly. But, you know, the problem is if you don't have visibility into that process, then you're sort of playing catch up or you're running reports at weekend or month end and trying to make adjustments. But now you're already 30 days down the road. 
And so if we can make decisions in real time that affect claims that are happening right now today and, you know, the ones that come in tomorrow, then it really is a bit of a game changer from, uh, from a carrier's perspective. Cause you look at, you know, people like lemonade where it's a straight algorithm, you know, they, <clears throat> they get at a new claim and as long as it meets certain criteria, it's automatically paid. No, no adjuster even touches it simply, you know, they built their logic in, so, in a form or fashion where the whole thing happens in three seconds. And so you hear a lot of about straight through processing these days in the, in the carrier space. And that's the holy grail, right? Because, you know, we, right. we know that we've got a 12 to 15% loss adjustment expense cost per claim on average. And so if we can compress that, well, then all of a sudden that gives us opportunity to either, you know, we could provide more coverage or we could, you know, increase margins or we could, you know, increase advertising spend or do any one of a number of things. But, you know, I always talk about, and I talk about in my book that, you know, claims is a zero sum game. We already know what the, you know, what our combined loss ratio number has got to be. And we've got to manage our indemnity dollars and our, and our LAE to, to meet that number. So is that straight through processing? Is that something that y'all are actively working on today? Yeah, I mean, I think you see it in parts of it. So when you think about, you know, if a, F, if a new loss comes into FNOL, it gets assigned by, you know, it gets triaged and assigned by Claimatic, and then it gets kicked into the CMS and says, hey, this automatically needs to go to like a CCC because it's a total loss claim. We just need to, you know, get lien release, salvage, title, et cetera, et cetera, and, and pay the insured. I mean, that's that can be very easily processed. But when you talk about straight through processing, again, while it's the holy grail of, of claims processing, it's really in its infancy. I mean, even the large carriers are only processing maybe one or two or 3% of their total claims volume through a straight through processing mechanism. Yeah. So it's a huge, there's still a huge opportunity to expand that. But, you know, when you think about what really goes on in, in today's world, I mean, even like with work comp claims, I mean, there's still times where you don't get claim, you don't even get the FNOL for a week or two or three or four and God forbid if, if somebody's already gotten, you know, on some pain medications and then develops an addiction, had you known all those issues or had you gotten that claim earlier, had you been able to assign it faster, you could have interrupted a lot of that cycle. And so there's just so much money that can be saved by faster intervention in the claims process. But we're still in, you know, the, you know, we're, we're, on, we're on the first hole of a 72 hole match. Yeah. Uh, and so we've, there's a long road to go. But, yeah, we absolutely see the see the future of that. And when you think of and part of what we talk about with our system is. You know, if if I can incorporate churn data and NPS scores and variance from from initial reserve to final payment, and if I can incorporate all that extra data that comes in on the backside and ingratiate that into my decisioning engine and through some you know AI and ML tools, make my own assignment process smarter and faster and cheaper, well then that speeds up everything downstream the second, third, and fourth time around, right? So it just gets better and better and better over time. Right. It's all about making the right decision at the beginning to set it down the right path. And so many times that happens where the wrong decision is made and, and you wind up having to pay for it so many times as it moves down the path. Um, you know, and talking yeah. about this, we have not actually had a, a chatbot company on in a long time, but I keep thinking here that your platform is just prime for, for communication with the carriers uh, to allow uh, maybe question and answering to allow it to go to a, a, a direct path. Is that something on your roadmap now? Yeah. I mean, obviously I think, you know, there's already some really good solutions out there. So, I mean, we're, we definitely don't need to be the the end all be it all for everything. I mean, we want to play nicely in the sandbox with all the other technologies. So we're actively mm -hmm. looking at partner opportunities. But if you think about, you know, from a climatic perspective, if a carrier has got an FNOL tool and, and they, you know, the, the, their insured fills it out online and then, you know, click submit, and then if it, a little window pops up to say, hey, 
you know, your, your claim's been received. Are you open for self-service options? You know, if you're willing to do a little bit of work, we can process this claim even faster. So, you know, if the insured's willing to walk around their house and take pictures of the damage and things of that nature and submit it all through the app, well, that saves us from obviously having to deploy an IA out to the house. And so, but if they're not comfortable with self-service, then you've got to have an alternate path, right? So if the insured says, no, I don't want it. I want somebody out here to come do it for me. Well, then that kicks it down a separate logical chain. But yeah, you can absolutely, you know, immediately engage. Once you get the FNOL, you can immediately engage like the tools like ZipWhip or HiMarley to start immediately communicating with the insured. You can have the chat box thing for certain types of claims, just, you know, walk them through a logical progression of questions. There's just a lot of different ways that you can reimagine the claims process once you start to bring some of these technologies to bear, and especially when you bring them together uh, in force. Very interesting. So obviously this is a tool that answers a lot of questions. What drew you to, to come to work here? You have an interesting and varied background. What brought you to Claymatic? That's a, that's an interesting story in and of itself. So, um, I was part of the, the ownership team. We sold LWG consulting to a private equity company in 2014. And it was perfect timing for me, just really from a, from a personal perspective, because my son was two and I was on the road all the time and uh, a lot of international travel. And so the sale of our company really allowed me to come off the road. And so the last several years, I just focused on being a good dad. And so it just poured into his development. And so, but now he's seven and he's in second grade. And so with him being back in school, I've got some time back in my day. And so I, I was doing some project work um, really, cons- you know, pretty consistently from, from the time that we sold on just because I got phone calls from competitors and carriers and, and private equity firms and research firms and whatnot. And, and so I was looking for something that I thought would, you know, be fun and engaging and get me kind of more, more back in the insurance business. And uh, we just, we, you know, we had some interesting conversations with Claymatic. And so we did a pretty extensive due diligence process on each other. And just, you know, what I saw from the outside looking in is it's a, it's a technology, and especially, obviously, I know claims really well, but it's a technology that improves the claims process that, you know, is a bit of a game changer as far as, you know, what's being done currently today and the opportunity to, you know, re-engage in the insurance business and still, you know, not still not have to travel like a maniac because I'm still a, you know, football coach and basketball coach and baseball coach and golf coach and everything else. Really checked all the boxes. And so, you know, I mean, I think from an entrepreneur's perspective, we we love the opportunity to solve problems and we like to build things from scratch. And so to come in at a very early stage with this company that's still really in startup mode um, and help it to grow and, and develop, you know, for me just seemed like a whole lot of fun. While you were saying that, it, it made me start to think about strategic partners. Uh, and And you were saying earlier how you want to play nice in the sandbox. Is that kind of a mission behind Claymatic is to be able to not be everything to everybody, but to be able to, to bring on those, those strategic partners? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. So it comes down to a fundamental, you know, essentially business decision early on. So I think there's certain companies that want to go out and be the, you know, the everything to everybody and they want to be the, uh, the dominant player and they want to be the, uh, um, they want to develop a monopolistic power in, in the market, which is, all wonderful from a profits perspective and, and market share and everything else. But I think what you see when you look at companies like that versus companies that, that want to b- build out a, a better ecosystem, by far the ecosystem companies are almost always more successful. And so yeah. I think I would say that from a long-term play, the better bet is to bet on the ecosystem. And so that's part of the, part of the, you know, the value proposition behind, behind us is, you know, we already recognize that we're integrated to Guidewire and Duck Creek and Salesforce and whatnot. And, you know, some other homegrown systems, 
you know, we're never going to replace the claims management system. We don't want to have to deal with payments or, you know, all these other things that we don't want to be this customer record where you've got to keep all the information. Um, we do what we do really, really well. We've got a couple of other tools and development um, that'll speed up other parts of the claims process. But no, we just, we want to, you know, again, we have the API structure where we really want to allow the carrier to, I think what's what you're going to see long-term is carriers are going to essentially build their own Lego set of claims management systems tools. And so, if you know if they really like Frisk, then that's great. Let's let's bring in Frisk. If they really like Shift, let's bring in Shift. If they really like X Y Z tool that does some other thing, but what you also have to think about from a from a carrier perspective is you've got to have a way to manage all of these new tools and functionality that's available in these little slivers, and it can't be a twelve or eighteen month. Let's review it. Let's do a proof of concept. Let's you know test it and pilot it. So I think at some point you're going to see a better ecosystem where you can test a lot of these little things in, in, you know, in real time, you know, off to the side in a sandbox or, or some inside environment, see how they perform. And then if you like how they, how they perform, you know, on your, on a, some test data, then you can incorporate them into your, into your system. And I think you'll see some more logical execution of how do we make th those kind of decisions. So we like the idea of being sort of that central hub where some of those decision uh, opportunities can, can play. And so if we, if we allow ourselves to plug into 350 or 3000 different little insure tech companies that are out there that provide different pieces of functionality and then the carrier can mix and match depending on how they want to build out their system, then, then we think that that's a great option. Do you integrate with any of the estimating platforms right now? Yes and no, right? So currently today what happens is, you know, a claim is in Guidewire and it gets sent to Xactimate or um, Symbility, but it's a it's a it's a decision process that gets kicked off from Guidewire, you know, again, to see it, whatever the platform, the basic platform is, you know, again, we don't want to be the system of record. So something's got to be holding the, the information regarding all the different transitory pieces. If we plug into their CMS, we say, hey, automatically kick this to these four resources. And part of that is obviously the estimating piece. Then then the Guidewire to Xactimate connection or the Guidewire to Symbility connection I think it's sufficient. If if at some point it makes sense to to directly connect, then then that would be. I mean, I think obviously we'd be open to that. But again, we don't want to we don't want to get into competition with you know kind of the guide wires or the or the SORs that are out there because that's really not what we believe to be our value prop. Hey Tim, you said that uh, you have a couple of things coming up in the not too distant future. Can you share those with us? Sure. Yeah, we've got a uh, a webinar on. March 2nd with PC360 that we're hosting on basically claims automation implementation strategies. And so Jackie Turpak with Erie and Tori Santos with USA and Darren McCarthy with Hippo are all going to be panel members. And so we're going to talk about many of the same things that we're talking about on this podcast, but we'd love for you to join us. Yeah, that sounds great. How, how would somebody sign up for that? You can go to our website. We've got a, uh, it actually is a pop-up when you first log into claimatic.com. Uh, or you'll obviously see, see the announcements in uh, PC360 stuff as well. Tim, as, as we come to a close, like I said, you're a really interesting guy. You're an, you're an author. You, you've been an educator and a trainer. But I've noticed that you were in Mexico. What took you there? What's that about? When I was working for Rimkus Consulting Group down in McAllen, we were dealing with mold claims back in 2000, 2001, um, as you guys are, you know, well remember, and we were just swamped with work. But, you know, once I figured out the, the Rimka's business model and I said, man, we have all these issues with, you know, you know, people getting hurt and, and claims being made. I said, and we were in McAllen, right? So we're, you know, taking adjusters across the border to have dinner and things of that nature, you know, pretty routinely. 
and so I said, well, if there's all this work in, in Texas and in the U.S., isn't there probably a greater amount of work in, in Mexico? Because we all know that the design standards and OSHA and things of that nature really don't you know, apply in the same form or fashion. And so I just kind of got that bug in my ear that, you know, hey, that'd be really kind of a cool thing to go explore. And so it was literally drive across the border, go talk to some insurance people in Reynosa. They said, well, all the decisions are made in Monterrey. And so I said, okay. So I went to Monterrey. And I was, I don't even know how I got some of the meetings I got now because, you know, this is way before, you know, the internet was, you know, really good and there was, you know, LinkedIn wasn't even around yet. But uh, I was able to get a meeting with this in-house attorney for the second largest insurance company down there. And I was trying to explain to him in broken Spanish because I didn't speak it very well back then what we did. And so he's like trying to listen. He's being very polite. And then he finally says, so, so you do forensics? And he asked me this in Spanish. And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, hold on a minute. So he goes back in his office. He comes out with his file. And he starts showing me these pictures of this dead lady. And he said, so here's the story. This guy divorced his wife, married a secretary, bought a two and a half million dollar life insurance policy on her. Ten days later, she slips and falls and dies in the bathroom. We're on the hook for the two and a half million dollars. The medical examiner's reports as a cause of death is undetermined, but obviously we're suspicious. And I said, well, yeah, I would be too. And we all, you know, obviously all of us from a claims background, you know, we all know that, you know, anywhere between you know, 10 and 20 percent of all claims have some fraud element to them. And he said, well, can you help? And I said, you know, I said, interestingly enough, I said, we just hired a guy from Puerto Rico that's, you know, fluent in Spanish and he's a biomechanical engineer and he, he taught at Tulane University. I said, so, you know, normally what we do is a lot of vehicle accident reconstruction and construction injury claims and things of that nature when people sometimes exaggerate injuries. And, and so we have to um, bring some of that to bear. But I said, yeah, I think he could probably help in this case. He said, okay, well, I'm going to sign you the file. So take the file back. We fly back to Monterey. We map the, the condo in the bathroom, take a bunch of pictures. We start lining up all the marks on our body with the autopsy report and the, uh, the physical evidence. And basically we determined that he beat her to death in the bathroom. So we wrote a report to that effect. Fast forward a few months, we testify in Mexican court and in, in Mexico, there's no jury. It's only a judge. The judge agrees with us. And so the civil case ends in a victory for the insurance companies, which they were obviously ecstatic about. And so then we were heroes by default. Well, then the governor of Nuevo Leon, which is the state around Monterey, as soon as the civil case was over, he reopened the criminal investigation into the guy and took him to jail. And so this blew up Monterey. I mean, it made all the newspapers. And just like in, in the U.S., you know, the insurance world is very, very small. And so I go to Mexico City a few months later for my first ever trip. It was like June of 05. And I'm introducing myself to all these home offices of these different carriers down there. And I'm already famous without even knowing it. They're like, oh, you're that guy from that, from the life insurance case. And I'm like, well, yeah, that was us. And so it was just, it was the funniest thing. Well, then I got lucky. You know, I, I always say that obviously when you work really, really hard, you, you know, timing is everything, but you get lucky along the way. So Hurricane Wilma hits Cancun in October of that year. And so the SVP of property claims for the second largest carrier again calls me up and says, hey, Tim what do you know about segregating pre-existing damage from hurricane damage? And I said, I know a lot about that. He said, well, come on down to Cancun. So we spent eight months in Cancun doing cat duty. And <laughs> those two projects for me solidified that there was a really good opportunity down, down in Mexico. They had a need for really good expertise. And what we found out as we further developed that market is the local forensic engineering expertise was pretty poor. There's obviously some issues with graft and corruption and things of that nature. And so for me, I got the idea in my head. I was like, I can go build an international forensic engineering business based in Mexico City that serves all Latin America. We can we can take the high road. We can play it the right way. We can charge U.S. rates. We can be the go-to guys for New York and London and Germany when they have these large losses that go on in Latin America. And so that became 
that became my mission in life. And so I recruited some guys that, uh, that wanted to live that dream with me. We went down there and we built the company and grew it to a multi-million dollar business. And we got to travel all over Latin America looking at all sorts of crazy claims. Um, and it was just so much fun to take those guys and develop them and, and make, them, make them way more successful than any of us had ever been in McAllen, Texas. And so, yeah, that was, that was what took me down to Mexico. Well, listen, we really appreciate you being with us today. Loved hearing about Claymatic. We've heard about it. We appreciate you giving us more about it and pulling back the curtain. And, uh, and, and we t- totally agree. I mean, Lee and I have spoken in the past in conversation about the need for a tool like what you guys have. So I think it certainly seems like you're in the right place at the right time. And uh, we wish you all the luck and all the best. I appreciate it, guys, and look forward to meeting y'all in person and getting to shake a hand. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, Lee, you know how we've talked before, especially you have talked before, about there's a particular tool that needs to be formed for all these different tools that are out there to all funnel into one spot. Sounds like uh, they, they agreed and they put that together. Yeah, I think that they're at least getting the the beginning of it, right? The the starting point. And it is so important to make that decision at the very beginning and to make it right. I mean, I mean so much money and time is wasted if the wrong uh, claim goes to the wrong hand. So I think that they have a a great future. It seems like they're they've got a lot of good people working on this product and it's a very exciting thing. What advice would you give them? If you mm. had that opportunity, it's a good question, Rob. I think a lot of times companies go into their products and they're very stuck in their ways and they know exactly what needs to be done. Um, but I would, I, my advice would be to uh, to be open minded to to change if need be, pivot if need be. And it sounds like they are. It sounds like they're very open minded. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that it's going to be very successful because, like I said if there's one thing about claims, they all have to go somewhere. And so if, if you're going to design a software that has to deal with anything, well, 100% of claims need to go somewhere. So let's work on the dispatch. I think that's a great business model. Well, we really appreciate Tim for reaching out to us and, and telling us about Claymatic. And we look forward to hearing more about him. And as always, we thank you for being with us. But we'll say what we say all the time, whether you want us to or not. Goodbye, everybody.